So last week we were um, talking about uh, developing a conversational relationship with God so that, so that as part of our ordinary everyday lives, we are engaged in a communion and conversation with the Father. We need, uh, probably most of us need kind of lily pad moments or, or touchstone moments or, or, or stepping stone moments uh, in, on a regular basis to, to kind of enable that um, because we're, we're not really good at paying attention to everything all at once. Most of us are trained to pay attention to kind of one thing at a time. So we need those moments. You can call them, you know, your, your quiet time, your devotional time, or your Jesus calling time, or you, you know, all kinds of ways of getting at that. And by the way, if, if some of you have not um, developed a pattern that works for you to do that three, four, five days a week, 15 to 20 minutes each of those three or four days, um, shoot me an email or, or I'll, I'll send it to Jamie and, and maybe he can put it on the website or something. But I've written a kind of a one-page devotional guide that would be helpful, I think, to some. Uh, for some of you, it probably won't be, but that's fine. Uh, that will just give you a frame for those 15 or 20 minutes, three or four days a week uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a touchstone. Because the goal in those things, again, is so that we can learn how in conversational relationship with, with God, to, to talk with Him about the things that are going on in our lives, uh, and, and, and then increasingly to train our souls in hearing Him talk to us about what's going on in His life. So that He can share with us what He is doing, perhaps even in and through the circumstances that we're talking with Him about. Do you, do you see? Because the, the point, of course, is that everywhere you are, God is present. Everywhere that you are, God is present. The trick is not God's presence. The trick is our presence. The problem that most of us have is that we are not present anywhere, ever. Even, even while we're in the moment, we are regretting something in the past or we're worrying about something in the future. And here's the problem. God does not exist in the past, nor does He exist in the future. So the things about which we live in regret or the things about which we are paralyzed in worry, God can't do anything about either of those things. Why? Because He only exists in the moment. There is no future or past in God, just now. So if we are living in the future with worry, or perhaps even expectation, or if we're living in the past with regret or nostalgia, we are where God isn't. That's why those things, emotions, worry, anxiety about the future, regret about the past, just completely wasted emotions. Completely wasted because there's nothing even God can do about those things. D does that make sense? Because the only place He ever is is where you are here now in this moment. So we talk euphemistically about coming into the Lord's presence. What we really mean is becoming present to the Lord who is always present. Just showing up in our own lives. And most of us need kind of uh, touchstones to enable that, moments to, to, to help us to become come present where we are. Does that make sense? 
So as we learn into that conversational relationship, uh, <clears throat> increasingly we, 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 we begin to hear the Father's voice talking to us if we're still and quiet, that practice discipline of solitude and silence, talking with God about what's going on, listening to, God, to the stillness, listening to the... Sooner or later you begin often to hear God's voice. Now, now His voice does not, for the most part, come at you from outside your head. You will rarely ever hear an audible voice, maybe never. And I just got to tell you, if you hear an audible voice, according to the text of Scripture, it's not always a good thing. The people who, who heard God's voice audibly wished they hadn't. So that's not something that we should... Let me hear your voice. Let me hear... you know. Well, let me hear your voice in a way that I can handle. Let's amend our prayer to, to, to fit that. <clears throat> because usually His voice comes to us in the form of impressions, in the form of nudges, in the form of, of just gentle leanings, a moment of, of awareness. You see somebody coming down the, down the opposite way on, in the mall, or, or, or you see uh, 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 somebody that you... you and, and there's an a, a awareness. Something's going... I don't know what it is. I don't know what that's about. But I want to, I want to, there's a, there's a little bit of a hiccup, a little bit of a speed bump. How many of you know? I don't know what that is. The other day I was doing, I was doing a women's, a, a women's conference and I was using the mic that the lead guitarist had, had used with a vocal and he had left the delay on. So I was hearing myself 27 seconds after I said anything. It was, it was quite entertaining for a while until we figured out what was going on. Never mind. Okay, so, so as, you're, as you're going through your ordinary everyday stuff, talking with God, because the goal is not to talk with God in the prayer time. The goal is to train yourself out of that prayer time to begin to pray without ceasing. To begin to talk with God through the everyday actions, the ebbs and flows of as you're getting in your car, as you're driving on the freeway, as you're riding the metro, as you're riding your bike, as you show up at your office, as you sit before the, 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 the column of figures you're, you're, you're balancing, as you, as you enter a line of code, as you stand before that classroom of preschoolers, in, 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 in whatever it is. As, as, uh, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who is a professional dog walker. So as you do that, as you nanny the children of parents who are surrogate parenting through you, as you do those, any of those, whatever those things, you lie under the back of a, of a diesel truck that you're fixing, whatever it is, invite Jesus into that because He knows more about any of those things than you do. He knows all there is to know about diesel mechanics and can help you do your job to His glory and in His name. He can do that. He, re he really can do that. He, he knows how to make a line of code uh, from clumsy to elegant. He knows how to do that. He really does. He's really, really smart. Is, is, is that okay for us to say out loud? Because sometimes we think Jesus is really pretty much good for nothing but dying on a cross for our sins so God can't think of a reason to keep us out of heaven. No, Jesus knows how to live really well. That's what disciplines are about. Learning how to live our lives as Jesus would if He were us. So, bring Him into those things. Now, as you're going along, 
Don't be surprised if he starts to talk to you about things that are pressing on his heart in the moment. And inviting you, having you, you have invited him into your journey, you've invited him into your life, you have invited him into your problems, into your pleasures, into your joys, into your disappointments. Don't be surprised if you get a return invitation and he begins to invite you to partner with him in what he is doing in the world. Don't be surprised if he invites you into his care for people that you care for and people that he cares for that you don't even know. That is what we're talking about this morning, is the spiritual discipline of prayer as partnership with God in what he's doing in the world. The framing text uh, comes out of the Sermon on, I mean, out of the Sermon on the Mount and the section of it that is the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll begin at, at verse 9 in Matthew chapter 6. By the way, uh, I should mention this before. We're now trying to get these um, sermon outlines and texts and so on up online available for you. So if you've got a smartphone and want to download the YouBible app uh, or the YouVersion app uh, and go to that uh, and then click on the live events, uh, our, the garden now has a, has a permanent live event on Sunday mornings that track the points of the sermon. The advantage with that is that you'll know when it's going to be over. It's really cool. Um, and, then, and then the Bible texts as well. And, and if you, you can either go through that way or you can go through the website, uh, thegardenlb.org, uh, and, and uh, click on that as well. So there's a couple of ways of doing that. By the way, if you want to do that after the service is all over during the course of the week, kind of reminding where we were and so on, you can do that. Play standard notes and so on. So... This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name. And then this is the framing verse for our conversation. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in the heavens. If you just sit with that prayer for the rest of your life, you will be praying the most effective prayer you have ever prayed for the rest of your life. That, in a nutshell, three lines, is the heart cry of a person who has been invited into partnership with God in what he's doing. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will be done here on earth in the same way that it is everywhere else in the heavens. Beginning in this tiny little part of the world that is me. Do you see? So we're invited into that. And prayer then becomes the primary and most powerful means by which we participate in the coming of the kingdom. Because we are activistic, because we love to get our hands involved in things, we are trained to think that what we do in the material world, speaking a word of witness, uh, planting a community garden, uh, working for social justice, those are the most powerful things we can do is bringing the kingdom to bear on the earth because God is interested in all of those things. He wants the, the, the he cares about the greening of the earth. He cares about uh, uh, systemic evil in, in the trafficking of, of women and children. He cares all of those things. And, and we want to be involved in those things. And we think that being involved in those things is the most active and important thing we can do. However, until you have prayed this prayer and begun to live it out, you haven't done anything significant in the bringing about of the kingdom of God on earth. That's how important what Jesus is saying here. 
actually is. All right? How many of you know, though, we need to be trained in how to partner with God? We need to be trained in that. So I'd like you to look with me at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's from the book of Exodus. It begins in chapter 17 and verse 8. The children of Israel have just come out of uh, captivity in Egypt, 400 years. They are now an infant nation. They are on their way to the, the, the um, receiving of the word, the ten words, right, that frames the covenant that, that gives them existence. And on the way, newborn baby boy, children of Israel, the Amalekites come and want to obliterate that people from the face of the earth. So this is what happens. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Please notice, not soldiers. Why? These were slaves ten minutes ago. There is not a soldier in the midst. Just bricklayers. So choose some men. Get some guys together and go out and fight the Amalekites. If ever there was an unprepared, untrained, unable army, it was this army because it wasn't even an army. It was just some guys with pitchforks going out against the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. But when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. We're just going to stop there. How many of you, just to get it as a way to get into this, know that God could have taken the Amalekites all by himself? One hand tied behind his back probably wouldn't have gone into the second round. God could have taken the Amalekites by himself. Why doesn't he? Who won this battle? This is the audience participation portion of the service. Please feel free to respond as you feel inclined. Who won the battle? God won the battle. Who won the battle? The Israelites won the battle. Who won the battle? Joshua won the battle. Who won the battle? Moses. I mean, you're, you're getting my silly little game. What am I saying that to you? Because without one of those partners, the battle would not have been won. Now, why is God doing this? Principally because the Amalekites are not first Israel's enemy they are first God's enemy. They are not inviting God into their battle. God is inviting them into His. This happens over and over and over again in the stories of Israel that are set aside for our training. David and Goliath is a classic example of the same kind of thing. The reason nobody else 
could go against Goliath is because nobody at the time but David recognized Goliath is not Israel's problem. Goliath is standing in the way of the work of the Lord. All I need to do is put myself in harm's way in the name of the Lord and God will fight with me. Do you see? Because I will fight with God. He is seeking to form a nation of people who he can trust to empower to do whatever they want. He needs to train them to work with him in what he is doing in the world. And we can, like I said, we can see this story over and over and over again. Children of Israel are going to learn, Allah Moses with his staff held high, that things happen when you pray that don't happen if you don't pray. Coincidences increase when you pray. Does that make sense? Because that's what people say, right? It's just a coincidence. I pray X and something happens. Coincidence. Here's the lesson. When you pray more, coincidences increase. Do, do, do you see? There's, there's, there is, God is trained. Why? Because Genesis 1, chapter 26, 20, verses 1, Genesis 1, Verses 26, 27, 28. Why are we here? We are here to represent, to image God. And we need to learn how to manage that kind of power so that we can be trusted with it on the planet. That's what's happening. God is training His people. That's why He says, write it down. Joshua is going to need this in about 40 years when we go and I clean house. So remember this. Write it down. Partner with me in this. In addition to this, we're invited into the exercise of this kind of authority. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 16, verses, uh, verse 19 to begin with. Uh, I will give you, Jesus says, Peter and the rest have said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response is, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. And you hear my translational variants with the New International Version. Um, the, the verb tenses there are more appropriately translated the way I'm doing it. In other words, we are entering into something that has already been done. So we get to bind what has already been bound. We get to loose what has already been loosed. And Jesus is giving to who? To the church. To you and me as His representatives. Unbelievable authority. That's what keys represent to bind and to loose, to partner with God in setting free and in taking captive. Here's another way that this works out. Let's go into this next one, uh, Miguel. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, and and, and <laughs> same passage again, different context. This is in the context of church discipline now. Uh, um, go, go back to 18 again. Uh, you know, oh, you were doing them both, sorry. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. Listen to this. Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now please notice, Jesus is not saying whenever two or three of you get together and vote, I'll show up. He is saying, wherever you are gathered as His body, He is present 
And His power is present in you. He invites you to partner with Him in what He is already doing in the world. This is, an, this is, this is amazing authority and power that we are being trusted with here. How many of you know you probably need to be trained in the kind of authority and power that He is letting loose on the world here? If you needed a driver's license to pilot a 2,500-pound vehicle, you probably need to be trained in Jesus' name. Do you, do, do you see? You need to learn into it. So, and, and here's the deal for me. Jesus learned this. We are His disciples, therefore, we learn this as well. What do I mean by that? We're going to go to John chapter 5 for a couple of minutes. And in John chapter 5, you, it starts with the strangest story. Uh, it, 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 Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He, he makes his way to the, to the uh, porches of, of Solomon. And uh, there are five covered patios filled with sick people. Right? And they are uh, gathered around the pool called Bethesda. When the water gets stirred, whoever makes it into the pool first receives healing. This is the faith that they are standing in. Okay? So, again, five covered porches filled with people who are in need of physical healing. How many of them does Jesus have the ability to heal? Every one of them. How many does He heal? Just one. And because He's the most deserving, right? If you read the story, clearly not. The guy's a jerk. He rats him out. Ten minutes after he's healed, he's ratting him out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know him. I, that kind of kind of kind of dynamic. In other words, and the point is, God is up to something here beyond simply the healing of the guy who's sick. God is always up to something more than just the healing of the guy who's sick. If healing isn't about kingdom, it doesn't occur. Jesus learned that. How? When He's confronted, if you look at this, in John chapter 5, verse 19, He says, oh, thanks, Miguel. Man, you're so good. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do what? Nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Are you starting to get a feeling that Jesus knew the heart of God so much that when He walked into that crowd, He knew exactly who the Father was healing today and for what purpose? Do you see? Let's look at the next one, down in verse 30. By myself, He says, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just because I don't seek to please myself, but Him who sent me. I don't seek to please myself, but only Him who sent me. Let's look at the next one. In John uh, 20, uh, I think it's verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse, verse 28. Jesus said, When the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The One who sent me is with me, he has never left me alone. Why? I always do what pleases Him. 
That last phrase is stunning. I always do. what. Anybody guessing why God trusted Jesus with unlimited power? I, I can trust the boy. He's got this one. Why? Because he brings his purposes, his will, his very life into alignment with what the Father is doing. In fact, you, you get a snapshot right into the very heart of this at the tail end of Jesus' life. Remember on the Thursday night, He's in the garden, He's praying. Remember what He prays? I want there to be another way. This is my will. This is your will. Can you bend your will to mine? No. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. He brought His will into alignment with God's will, even though that meant He was going to die. That's why Jesus can be trusted with unlimited power. Because He simply does not have any interest in doing anything that is out of alignment with what the Father is doing in the world. Please notice that sometimes doing the will of the Father means a no to your prayers. It means that sick people don't get healed. It means, at least in one case that we're aware of, dead people don't get raised. How many people did Jesus have the capacity to raise from the dead on that afternoon when He stood in front of Lazarus' tomb? How many? Every one of them. He was the resurrection and the life. He had capacity to raise every dead man, woman, and child in the history of the world to the end of the world. And today, how many people is the Father raising from the dead? Just one, named Lazarus, come forth. That's why I think He had to use His name. He couldn't just say, come forth, because that would have been chaos. <laughs> Lazarus? Brother of Mary and Martha, come forth. Oh, okay. That's you, bud. <laughs> do, 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 you see what I, do you see what I'm saying here? Now, now please notice, because we live in a culture of cemeteries. We live in a culture of porches filled with needy people. And we want, if we have the capacity, to heal everybody, to raise everybody. I mean, wouldn't you do that? I, I, if I had the capacity to do what Jesus did, I would be in, in every, every hospital in Long Beach, wouldn't you? Every VA institution, I'd be there. And guess what I'd be doing? Something other than what the Father is doing. Just need to let that sink in. Are you beginning to understand why sometimes the things about which we pray don't occur? It's not because you don't have enough faith. It's because God is at work doing something else that you might not know anything about. He does operate a couple of pay grades above you. So we are invited into partnership as foot soldiers on the battlefield. We're invited... To, to know just enough to obey. And when we learn that well, we can be trusted with more and more. So we're trained in intercession. We are trained um, to, to become more useful, more responsive as we learn into this. 
So I want to talk just for a couple minutes about what intercession is. Bottom line, intercession is, is standing between. It means to stand in between people and God. Or God and people. So it depends on which way you face, what kind of intercession you're doing. Right? And sometimes intercession just occurs when you become aware of a need or you become aware just even in your conscious walking around life. So, so I hear an ambulance go by, I hear a police car go by, I hear a siren go by. My heart has been trained over the last 25 or 30 years. My dad trained me in this. Every time I hear an ambulance, every time I see a, a blue or red light spinning, I just, I just hiccup in prayer. Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the need is. I don't know if it's an accident or a heart attack. I don't know what it is. I just pray your blessing on the ambulance drivers, on the, on the medical professionals who are the, the EMTs who are responding, whatever it is. Just bang. Okay? Now, I, I don't know exactly in this moment. I'm not really well trained in this. I'm still a beginner. I just want to keep throwing prayers up. Do, do you see? Uh, I, but you never know if they're answered. That's also above my pay grade. That's not my job. My job is to pray. Do you see? So, so it comes to that. I, I, see, I see people in financial need. Uh, John Peters trained us in this, right? However, when, when, when somebody comes to pray, what are we to do? We're not to pray. We're to listen. To discern. What is God doing in this moment? And how can I pray into what God is already doing, including maybe strength rather than deliverance? Courage rather than release. Do, do, do you see? So part of this is just I, I become aware of people. I become aware of situations. I, 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 it's... Uh, People ask me to pray for them. I'm sick or, or burdens that they're bearing and so on and so forth. And I, and I want to learn into doing that. I want, to, I want to learn into that. And then sometimes as I get good at that, uh, like I mentioned before, I'll be walking down the, down the, down the mall, uh, uh, you know, grocery store or, or where it is, wherever it is. On the, I'm walking across campus. I'm coming up. It hit me this morning. I was walking across and there was a guy and just... Uh, oh. And do you know what I mean? Anybody ever have that happen? Is that do I need to fill in all of the blanks here? Can somebody connect the dots? Are you okay? I've been I got yelled at last week for going too long, so I'm trying to miss every fifteenth word. But so no, I didn't really get yelled at. It's just my my deeply sensitive nature took things so personally. Okay, but anyway, but you've had that happen, right? Customer walks into the store and you say something's going on there. I don't know what that's about. You see somebody walking down the street, whatever. What that's about is the Father saying to you, can you just carry them for a second on my behalf? Can you, can you partner with me in the hard thing they're going through right now? Will you do that with me? And, and it, I don't need to know what it's about. I, sometimes in the middle of the night, I will awaken with just this sense. Sometimes I'll get a, a face. Sometimes I'll get... Uh, 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 a name. Sometimes it'll be a colleague that I'm aware of. And I have just learned over the years to get up out of bed, it, 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 to wander around the house until it's gone, then go back to bed again. I just learned. And it has happened to me over and over and over again. And you, I, I'm watching the responses in the in congregation this morning. Many of you have experienced the same thing. A week, a month, a, a year later, somebody will say, 
taking us right back to that moment, right back to that hour, allowing for the time zone delay that that moment of prayer in the middle of the night in, in Rancho Santa Margarita, California was answered in sub-Saharan Africa by a friend of mine who was a missionary. I, I don't know how that works. I just know now to pay attention when there's that <clears throat> gut thing going on. Do, do you know? So that's the one thing. But there are two primary ways that we want to learn into this. Uh, uh, mercy intercession and justice intercession. Mercy and justice. The mercy one is in Ezekiel chapter 22, just to set the frame for this, and there are other places that I could look at it. Here God is at the tail end of the, uh, of the history of Israel. He is looking, he says, for someone among them who would build up the wall, who would stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. Listen, on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Go on to the next, Miguel. So I will pour out my wrath on them. I will bring down on them, on their own heads, what they have done. Go back to 30, if you would, please. Thank you. Please notice, what does intercession look like in this case? It looks like standing face-to-face, toe-to-toe, against God in His judgment on the people behind me. I'm looking for somebody, He says. Who, Because remember, God's covenant is going to flow. And if you're in alignment with the covenant, you receive that flow of covenant as blessing. But if you're in opposition to that covenant, you receive that covenant flow as curse. God is saying these people have done things and life is about to get very chaotic and messy for them, which they will interpret as judgment. I'm looking for someone who will stand against me on their behalf and hold back build up a wall, stand in the gap, be armed and hold back that judgment that's coming. Do you, do, you see the, do you see what we're after here? This is why, brothers and sisters, we cannot pray God's judgment down on people's lives. Not because they're gay, not because they live in San Francisco or because of a tornado in, 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 in wherever or, or a flood in, in New Orleans. Or, this is not our job. Our job is not to label people whom God hates. Our, God, our job is to stand on behalf of those people, disenfranchised, who have no one else to stand for them and say to God, you've got to go through me to get to them. That's our job. That's what I want the garden to be for the city of Long Beach. I want the garden to be a place where men and women who are dealing with life are accepted and embraced in the love of God. That's what I want it to be. Right? That's our call. That's our mission. That's our ministry. We're going to leave God to sort out stuff that doesn't work really well. That's also above our pay grade. We're not good at judgment until we get the two-by-four out of our own eyes. Right? So that's the first thing that we do. This, this, is, this is why we've just, we've just got... And by the way, if you want to play with this some more, look at Moses, who says the same thing to God on behalf of Israel. Look at Jesus, who hangs on a cross, 
And what does He say? Father, forgive them. Look at them through me. He's the one we follow. So that's mercy intercession. But the other one is Luke chapter 18, justice intercession. This is an interesting one. Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. Finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I don't care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me though, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, now listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice then for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you this, He will see to it that they get justice and quickly. And this is the last line. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Do you see what's going on here? For, I mean, God, Jesus is saying, if somebody as crooked and, 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 and corrupt as an unjust judge will do the right thing because he's pestered into it, don't you think your heavenly Father will bring justice when His people cry out and ask for it? Really? He will bring that. Here's the thing. Will you stay in the game until it's over? When the Son of Man comes, will He find anybody who stands in the reality of this kind of intercessory prayer who continues to call out on God for justice against the victim, for the victims of, of human trafficking? Who, who, who continues to push back against the barbarism of a, of a systemic evil encapsulated in the Syrian government? Who, who, who pushes back in prayer against the warehouses full of food being used as political manipulation in sub-Saharan Africa and people's lives are being lost not because there's no food but because it's inconvenient to the systemic evil in power to release the food to feed His own people. Do you, do you see what we're doing here? Because God's heart it's clear. It's evident. So how do, we, how do we balance mercy and justice? I always pray mercy on people and justice on systems. If you want to distinguish that. Systemic evil. I, I, whenever I drive, drive past the psychic house, tarot cards, whatever, I always pray, God, save the people in the dark, but destroy the darkness. Do you see what I'm, do you see what we're doing here? What, what, what we're saying is that evil has become principal, Paul calls them principalities and power. My language, systemic evil, same thing, has become encapsulated in our world. What is the primary way that you're going to push back against that? Well, I'm going to sign a petition against trafficking. Good for you. I'm going to send money. I'm going to buy a T-shirt. Good. Do you want to do something really important? Pray. It's the most important, the most powerful thing you can do. And by the way, having done that, you might be invited to do something else.
you might be invited to become involved at a deeper and more profound level. But until you've prayed, the kingdom hasn't come. Do do, do you see what we're after here? So, training in intercession enables us to do this. What do we need for this kind of partnership praying? First of all, we need detachment. Detachment. I cannot care what the outcome is to my intercession. I want God's will to be done more than I want my will to be done. This, by the way, is why I can't intercede for my own children often. Because I want to control not only the outcomes, but the method of arriving at the outcomes. Do you see what I mean? I want my sons to grow to love and honor and serve God without suffering anything in their lives. That's why I can't intercede for them. I'm going to get in the way of what God is doing in the answer to the prayer that they be formed to Christ-likeness. Because the truth is, if Jesus learned obedience through the things that He suffered, guess how my sons are going to learn it? Or you. So, when we pray, I've, I, I had this happen to me not that, not that long ago, and I thought I had learned this. Somebody was in a terrible situation financially. They were just right at the edge of things. They had been bouncing at that edge for quite some time. And I just, I just started to pray for the release of resource, for the release of financial resources to them. And I heard the whisper of the Spirit, would you please get out of my way? It took me three years to get them to the place where they're about to hit the wall for the third, fourth, fifteenth time. And you are praying against my purposes for them. Okay, well, as you were. I mean, do, 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 you, see what I'm, do you see what I'm after there? Now, that, that, that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us. Same thing sometimes with, with, with sickness, with, with, with people that are dealing with illnesses of various kinds. I learned this, by the way, when my mom died. Two-year battle with bone cancer. Um one of the most godly women I have ever known in my life. Uh, People coming up, telling her if she only had more faith, she would be healed. Just want to slap people silly sometimes. Right? But that started a journey for me to explore what in the world faith was and what its relation to outcome in prayer was. That's where I was talking about last week. And what I discovered is not God didn't kill my mom. He didn't want her dead. But he didn't want to interrupt the flow of nature in this particular situation either. He was up to something else here. Now, he didn't ask me for my vote. I had to say, yes. I want to set my heart on a trajectory of yes. To the will of the Father and care not one bit how we get there even if it means I die that's detachment okay and the second one is discernment what's God doing what's he up to in this moment 
how is the Holy Spirit praying about this? How is Jesus praying about this? How can I partner with Him in what He's already doing? I don't want Him to bless what I'm doing. I want to bless what He's doing. He gives me that capacity by calling me a son, by calling me His own, by calling me His beloved. And He invites us into that. Here's how I want to end this morning. Um, I want to just give you three to five minutes and, and Pete and the team are going to come in and play in behind this. Uh, but I, I, want, I want to invite you to just take a minute and um, ask God what it is He wants you to carry for Him for a minute. It might be something you came, came with. It might be a situation or a person. It might be something broader than that, uh, uh, systemic evil. But just sit for a minute and, and see what comes to mind. See what occurs to you. And then take it to the next step and say, Father, what are you doing in this? What are you up to in this? How can I pray for what you're already doing? And then just release yourself to pray that for a few minutes this morning. Okay? Let's bow. Lord Jesus, we, we want to um, partner with You in what You're doing in the world. We, we recognize Your hand at work. And we pray, O oh Lord, the release of Your Spirit in this place for kingdom difference. Maybe in these next three to five minutes, something will shake loose in the world because we have partnered with You in it. I pray, O oh God, that we would have faith to stand in that reality. In Jesus' name.